You're listening to the East Point Podcast. For more information about East Point, check out our website at www.epcjacks.com. Fellow can't preach after that. He needs to turn in his ordination papers. Amen. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Wow, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Hey, we're starting a brand new series this morning. You're getting in right at the very beginning of it. It is called Unshakable. That is the title the Lord laid on my heart. As we look at being more established in our faith, I am convinced that we have um, cultural winds, if you'll let me say it that way, that blow against us constantly, and it is more important than ever before for God's people to be established so that we're not shaken by what's going on in the world. Can I get an amen or an aha? Uh-huh? I want to invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 to begin with. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to have a word of prayer with you, and then we're going to jump right in today with our first topic, which is, of course, God, uh, specifically God the Father, we're going to talk about today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we, ca- we come to you today. We thank you for what our ears have heard and our hearts have already felt this morning, and God, we pray that you'll help us with this, this subject, Lord. You know my heart, and you know I've asked you many, many times throughout the course of this study to just help me to say the things that need to be said God, help me to refrain from the things that did not need to be said. And God, increase our understanding. I pray that you'd uh, give us roots deep in our faith, God, as as believers. And then for those who are not saved, Lord, maybe even some who uh, have no belief at all uh, concerning you, I pray that you would just prick their hearts, encourage them, Lord, penetrate their minds and cause them to begin to consider who you are. And I ask now, God, you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. This opening text is more of a um, sort of a theme for our series. There are several verses like this throughout the Bible, but let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse number 1, beginning there. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone uh, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, notice this, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Paul's saying, listen, there's no reason why as believers we ought to be shaken because of the events that go on in our world, whether it be the threats against us as Christians or just the circumstances of life. uh, We need not be shaken by them. And so we're going to approach the topic today of God. And I realize this is a very uh, difficult topic for two reasons. One, the subject of God is inexhaustible in itself. I was talking with somebody earlier this week and I said, you know, every one of these lessons that we're going to be looking at, which there's about uh, 11 topics, probably about 13 uh, uh, lessons throughout the entire time, every one of them you could do a series on. So I'm going to give you a series in 30 minutes. And you know that's a lie. We're going to be late. That's what that amounts to because I I can't get it all done in that time. So I've asked the Lord to help me with this wonderful topic. But the topic is inexhaustible. It's boundless. And then secondly, another problem we have with this topic is we're trying to understand an infinite God with a finite mind. And these things are difficult for us to understand. So here's what we're going to do. If you have a study sheet, and if you received a bulletin, uh, you would have uh, gotten one of those tucked away inside. I'm going to give you all three main points, so you can just go to sleep and watch it on the web later. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I do want to take a moment and welcome those who watch us online. We actually have 
uh, several of our military personnel who have left us, been stationed overseas, and they're gathering together. I'm told this past week they shared with me some of their uh, military friends are getting together and watching us online, and so we, we want them to know we're praying for them, we love them, and uh, we pray for safe return home. So uh, let, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to give you all three points. This is, this is how we're approaching it today. Uh, the reality of God before us, the revelation of God to us, and the relationship of God with us. Now that's, uh, that's how we're going to go about it today, all right? Let me first of all start by reading to you a familiar verse, Genesis 1, verse number 1. Many of you could quote it with me. In the beginning, who? God. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I, I find this interesting, that the Bible nowhere tries to explain to us the existence of God. We're, we're told of the origin of the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we are not told of the origin of God. It's not even attempted. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. John chapter 1, verse number 1. John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if we go back to the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of time as we know it, the beginning of the race of man, the beginning of the earth that we inhabit, this beginning. We have God already there. So he goes back beyond what we would call the beginning. By God, let me give you this definition. By God, we mean the one absolutely and infinitely perfect spirit. This will come up on the board for you as well. The one absolutely and infinitely perfect spirit who is the creator of all. God is eternal. I love this statement. Listen to it. Uncaused and triune in his nature. And by that, we are talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Ghost. Now, that's difficult for some to understand. We will get there later in our text, uh, in our study, I should say, later in our study, as we talk more about the Trinity and trying to understand what exactly that means, that there is but one God and yet three persons within the one God. But today we're going to focus on God the Father, uh, the, the reality of God before us. Let me jump in with this uh, first point with you. We are in an increasing well, we are in a culture that is increasing in atheism and denial of the existence of God. It's an amazing thing. When you study the stats, the number of born-again believers in polls that are being taken have been reduced over the, over the last few years. We are slowly seeing that number come down. It is now down to about 70%. And the number of people who are known as religious nuns, that's N-O-N-E-S, religious nuns. That, that is a reference to atheists, agnostics, and those who say, I have no belief at all. I just hold no belief. They now make up 23% of our population. 23% of our population. It's an interesting world that we live in. Does God exist? Well, yes, he does. Some, however, struggle with that. We're going to ask Tim Hawkins to help us out a little bit with this. There's an increased number of what's known as atheist megachurches now. I was reading this thing in the news several months ago, and it was, uh, this is a news story talking about the existence of atheist megachurches. I mean, what do you do there? Do you sing worship songs at an atheist church? What do you say? Like, shout to the void, all the earth, let us sing power and majesty. 
majesty prays to nothing. What do you sing to? Man, do they have children's church at the Atheist Mega Church? <laughs> what songs do you sing to kids at an Atheist Church? Like, no one loves the little children, all the children of the world. No one hears you when you cry, no one hears your lullaby. No one loves the little children of the world. Reason why, reason why we exist, but there's no reason why. Reason why, reason why we exist, but there's no reason why. A row, row, row your boat gently down the reef. Wallowing, 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 wallowing in your unbelief. Let's do the rounds. Remember the rounds? I'll, no, you don't want to do that. Okay. Let's try a new one. Evolution, this I know. For Charles Darwin told me so. Accidentally alive. If you're weak, you won't survive. <laughs> That's the logic, right? That's what they're saying. And I have N-O-T-H-I-N-G to give me hope and certainty And when I D-I-E, I will be A-L-O-N-E Hey! <laughs> It'd be funnier if it wasn't so sad, though. Would you agree? It's crazy. All right, so, so the reality is that we do have an increased number of people who simply don't believe in God. So here's the question for us. How do you prove that God exists? Well, first of all, let me say this. Uh, since the, the writers of the Bible didn't try to prove it and God never tried to explain himself, I wonder whether we even have to, to be honest with you. But there are some arguments that we could use. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you several of those arguments now, and I don't want you to be overcome by, uh, by these terms, okay? Uh, these terms, man, they'll turn you away if you're not careful. I know this is not a seminary class, but I want to give you these terms, and then we're going to do, as some say, we're going to put the cookies on the lower shelf so everybody can access them, and we understand exactly what these terms mean, all right? So I want to give you some arguments that you might be able to use. One is known as the cosmological argument. Now, all of these will come up. You can write them down if you care to. If not, that's okay if you just want to listen to it. What do we mean by cosmological argument? This is the argument based on the fact that the world or the universe, the cosmos, a Greek term used there, has order and arrangement and is constantly in change, and yet it stays with an order and an arrangement. This absolutely calls for something that has held it in place and uh, has made it exist, a cause for what we have. Amen. Let me use two quick illustrations with you. One is this building. Imagine with me for a moment if we tried to tell people that, that all that this building consists of, whether it be the walls that you see, the paint on the walls, the sheetrock, uh, the electrical inside the walls, the outlets in their proper places, all of the sound wiring that is in the ceiling. Imagine with me if we thought for one minute that over a million years, several millions or even billions of years, that through wind storms and all sorts of stuff, this would be the result. Eventually, randomly, everything would be put into order. Imagine with me for a moment... 
Max good on this thing, isn't he? He's awesome. Imagine with me that I could bang on this thing. And after a million years, I accidentally played Bach or Beethoven. <laughs> now we laugh at that, but the seriousness is there. To think that something which can be perfectly arranged can come just out of nothing and with no one in charge of it is a ridiculous thought. And so I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that we have the cosmological argument. Now, uh, secondly, we're going to call this the teleological argument. Now, this argument basically says that everything that has order and arrangement also has purpose. One of the life questions that atheism or agnosticism struggles with is why are we here? There is no answer to that when you think of, of what evolution tries to teach. So this argument basically says that, that a house that is built not only did not randomly just show up, but it serves the purpose of a family dwelling in the house. Your life, uh, you are not just simply a random uh, development and, and, and evolved. I'm reminded of the story. Some of you heard, no doubt, years ago of the, uh, uh, the uh, little boy who went to his dad and said, Dad, where did I come from? And his dad said, oh, son, you came from the apes. And uh, he didn't like that particular story his dad told, so he went to his mom. He said, Mom, where did I come from? She said, well, you came from God. Well, Dad said I came from apes. And, and she said, well, son, don't worry about that. He was just telling you about his side of the family. <laughs> the teleological argument is one that says everything that is created in all of the order and all of the arrangement, it has a purpose behind it. That order does not come from chaos. It never has, and it never will. The anthropological argument is number three on the list. And again, anthropos, another word uh, that we need to focus in on. We're talking about man. When we think of man and the development of man, uh, this literally calls to mind the mental or moral condition of man. What do we mean by that? What we're, what we're saying is this, that, that the mind of man, the will of man, and the emotions of man cannot evolve from matter. These are things that God must have given. And so we begin to understand better the anthropological argument. And then we also need to understand the Christological argument. Now this is interesting. You can probably determine from the beginning of that word what we're talking about. We're talking about this, that the Bible and the influence of this one called Jesus Christ must be considered it must be accounted for. For instance, all of the prophecies that were prophesied, that were fulfilled in the scripture, how can those be ignored? How, how can the miracles that were performed with so many witnesses, how can that be attested to if God does not exist? So the Christological approach, I think this also involves something we could call uh, the martyrdom argument. And by that I mean this, that, that these people, these disciples who saw with their own eyes the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection, they gave their lives. Do you think they would have done so if they had been lying? Don't you think one of them would have said, okay, this has gone too far? But they all died a martyrdom death except for the Apostle John. Then there were hundreds upon hundreds, even thousands after that, that gave their life because of the existence of a relationship with this one we call God. 
So this is a valid argument. And then last of all on this list is the argument from, from congruity. And by that we mean that if you have a key that slips into the lock and it turns all of the tumblers that are in there, then you say you have the right key. And that key being this, that God exists. And when you slip that into life and you answer all of life's questions or rather ask all of life's questions and that turns all the tumblers, then you know you have the right key. And so the argument is one of congruity as well, that we know that God exists. Emory Bancroft in his book on Christian theology, uh, he said this, the scriptures do not attempt to prove God's existence. It did not seem to occur to the writers of either the Old or New Testaments to produce arguments for it. Everywhere, he said, and at all times, it is a fact taken for granted, assumed and affirmed. God is. Amen. He is. We do not see gravity, and yet we know gravity exists. We do not see the wind. We see the effects of it, but we do not see the wind. We do not see the air that we breathe, and yet without it, we would die. One teacher who was an atheist said to her students, asked a question, and one of the young ladies who was a Christian with a biblical worldview answered it and involved God in the answer. And the teacher called her over to the window in order to embarrass her and asked her to look out into the sky and tell her whether she saw God or not. So the girl went over and looked out and she said, no, I don't, I don't see him. And she said, that's because he does not exist. She said, now turn around and tell the class what you've learned. So the little girl turned around and she said, class, do you see the teacher's brain? <laughs> they answered no. And she said, well, that must mean, according to what we've learned today, that it is because it does not exist. <laughs> now, I don't recommend that to any of our young people, by the way. But if you get in trouble, call your pastor. I'll come get you out, okay? <laughs> I'll come down and talk to the principal for you. I'm okay with that. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying that God exists. He's real. And then secondly, I want you to notice this about God. We're going to call it the revelation of God to us. Not only is it a remarkable thing that, that God exists, and by the way, he has declared himself through a number of ways. He reveals himself in a number of ways. According to Psalm 19, verse number 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That is nature. Somebody ought to stop and take a look at nature and see that because things fall into place the way they do, someone must have created this. Earlier we talked about buildings and an arrangement of music and we did not even enter into the marvel of the body, the human body. And to think that the human body came from nothing or came from chaos and came from, from uh, an evolution and everything just happened to fall into place a certain way is a preposterous thought. Uh, when you stop and look at the order that is there, Darwin, of course, was considered an expert on origins, and yet uh, I'm amazed that when you study some of his writings in 1879, he referred to the development of the flowers as baffling. He said, of them, they are an abominable mystery. I ask you this, are you going to trust your soul to a man who doesn't understand flowers? 
or the human eye and how it has developed, let alone side by side, perfectly fashioned in, your, in the front of your head and not the back. It's an amazing thing that God has made us. He has revealed himself to us if we will simply pay attention to what it is he has done for us. So when we talk about the revelation of God, we're talking about the disclosure of God. The fact that God did not have to tell us who he was, but he does. He makes several attempts to do it throughout the uh, history of man. By the way, this, this very topic today, I thought about this as we talk about things we believe and being established in our faith. I thought, well, maybe I should start with the, the, the scriptures themselves because that seems to be, that's our base. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. Before there were scriptures, God revealed himself to man. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them there in the garden, he walked with them in the cool of the day. He spoke with them. He talked with them. Later, we are told, he sent prophets to tell them what it was he had to say. They did uh, miracles and, and gave validity to their word. They prophesied concerning things that were happening. And as they happened and as they unfolded, God revealed himself. Even the story of the Exodus and all of the plagues that were sent against Egypt, they were all designed to do one thing. The Bible tells us that they might know there was a true and living God. That's what it was all designed for. He said concerning Pharaoh uh, and the Egyptians, Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. In the book of Isaiah, he said in uh, chapter 43, in verse number 10, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. God wants us to know who he is. Amen. He wants us to understand who he is and what he is like. Our God concept, when we think about our God concept, the concept of God is what we develop in our life growing up. Uh, we, we begin to picture what God is like in our minds. Often that comes, psychologists tell us, from our views of our parents. If you have a real passive parent growing up and, and you begin to think that God is a real passive God, that he never judges anything, that he just simply lets everything ride, that there's no consequence to our behavior. On the other hand, if you have a real dominant parent, who tends to come down on you harshly, you begin to think that that's what God is like, that God sees all and knows all, and so every bad thing that happens in your life is God taking out the proverbial switch. Uh, for me, it was a ligustrum. Uh, I won't get there, but uh, he's taking out the proverbial switch and spanking you, and that's not God either. What you have to do is understand that, that, that we may actually be giving the wrong impression of what God is like to our children. James Dobson, when referencing the God concept, he said this, remember that Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. He added, the best way to introduce our children to the character of God, therefore, is by introducing them to the person of Jesus. That's an important thing. Listen, there needs to come a time in your life, if you haven't already, that you understand that God is not like your parent. That he is separate and different and apart. He is, there is none like him. And you need to fall in love with the God of the Word of God. He has revealed himself through the scriptures to us. 
Hebrews tells us that uh, there was a time when he spoke in various ways. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So I want to tell you something. God wants you to know what he is like. He's not trying to be aloof. He's not trying to be distant from you. He wants you to learn of him and to know what he is like. And yes, he has a wrath, but he has a love. And I don't think you can understand the grace and love of God if you don't get a picture of the wrath of God and the consequences of sin. So it all balances out when it comes to understanding who God is and what he is like. Yes, he reveals himself through creation. Yes, he has used the prophets. Yes, he uses the word of God to tell us what he is like. And, and we come away with understanding the attributes of God. I'm going to give you a, a list now. You can write them down if you'd like. It's going to take you a few minutes, so it's a lengthy list. And this is only some of them. There are many others that we could speak on, but I want to give you these just briefly. I'll go through the list with you. We know this about God. We know he is eternal. And by eternal, we mean eternal past as well as eternal future. The Bible tells us, by the way, he said, I will be known by my name Jehovah. Yehovah in the Hebrew. Listen to me. That word means self-existent. Self-existent. That means he has always been. He is the cause of all things and he himself is uncaused. So he is eternal. He is merciful. He is good. He is omnipotent. And by that we mean, of course, he is all-powerful. All-powerful. I love the fact. I, I love the ocean. I grew up not far from this very location. Just a few miles from here, my dear mother still lives and, and lives in that same house I grew up in. And every time I go to the ocean, and, and I love to go down there, I love to see the beach just a few miles from our church here, I am reminded of the passage in Job. I'm reminded of the scriptures that say that God made that, and he set a boundary on it, and he spoke to the waves and said, this is how far you can come, don't come any farther. Amen. The omnipotence of God, the power of God. He is full of grace. He is omnipresent. Now what does that mean? He is everywhere. Now not in the sense that he has many gods and he is in this room and in that room, but God is so large that, that he actually encompasses everything, that, that there is nothing without him there. He is holy. I don't know that we can ever truly wrap our mind around that attribute of God. I think that we struggle with that. He is holy. He is omniscient. By that we mean he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. And this confuses some of us because if he knew everything and he knew man would sin, then why would he ever create man? That comes back to the fact that he loves us so much he was willing to take the consequences of whatever that involved. And that is a difficult thing also for us to understand, the love of God. And yet, nonetheless, it is one of his attributes. He is imminent. And by imminent, we mean he is at hand. The psalmist said he is a very present help in time of trouble. He's not, he's not sleeping. He's not uh, unaware of your circumstances. He's right there. He's not only the creator, may I say it this way, he's the sustainer of all things. He is righteous. He is immutable. Never changing. 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the way he works with man does change. We know that because we're not setting up altars in our backyard. The burnt sacrifice I have on my, uh, in my backyard is a, uh, the burnt offering is a chicken I left on the grill too long. I mean, that's, that's about it. And uh, so we don't do that. Why? Because time, time has, God works with man within dispensations of time. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that burnt offering. And so we know, and of the day of atonement. And so we don't practice that anymore. But that has to do with God never changing. But the way he works with us does change. He is self-existent. We talked about that one just a moment ago. Now, this one some people struggle with. And Darwin, I, uh, you know, I understand evolution to some degree. Uh, I make fun of it a little bit. Uh, and I think maybe one of the reasons I do that is because they make fun of me. And I, I happen to believe that their theory is absolutely much more ridiculous than my theory. Amen. When I read in the Word of God, I read that God has always been. And that all that is came from him. As a matter of fact, uh, the word of God tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11. It, it talks about uh, that uh, we who come before the Lord. Uh, turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 11, for just a minute. Let's take a look at it. If you're going to come to God, you not only need to understand uh, that uh, he is, but that he is a rewarder of all things. And let me show you another verse there as I get back to that text with you. I'll be there in a second. You're there, amen. <laughs> verse number six is the verse that I just uh, mentioned to you. The Bible says, uh, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now look back in verse three with me. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You think God knew the day would come when someone would try to say that that which is came from something else which is? He said, I want you to understand that it involves some faith that God has always been, that he is self-existent and from him came all things. And without him, John 1 tells us, was nothing made that, that is made. So we have here a revelation of God to us. He is righteous, immutable, self-existent. He is just. He is sovereign. The sovereignty of God throws some people off. The sovereignty of God means literally that certainly God is in control, but that doesn't mean that he disallows for the will of man or that he doesn't allow a leash, if you will, for, the, uh, for mankind to roam within so far. And we live in a time where uh, people say things like, well, if there is a God and if he is sovereign, then why is there all of the horrible things that are happening on the earth today? And why do children go hungry? That's one of my uh, first questions I'm often asked. And, and why isn't this done? And why isn't that done? It's because God allows some things to take place. We are in an unredeemed world. But that doesn't mean that he is not sovereignly in control. And then there is love. To comprehend the love of God. Paul talked about that, uh, that he wants us to try to understand that. That love that sent his own son to die on the cross for us. It's an incredible thing that God is love, John said. He is transcendent. And by transcendent, we, we mean that God is unlike any other being in our experience. And there is no analogy or comparison that can be made to him. 
the psalmist said it this way. David cried out before God in his prayer and he said, there is none like you. Well, that is hard for us to understand. Hard for us to comprehend. And then last of all, I want to deal with the relationship of God with us. If you'll give me just a moment on this, the relationship of God with us. It's an amazing thing that God is. It's an incredible thing that God wants to be known to us, that he makes himself known, that he reveals himself to us. It is even a greater thing, I think, for us to understand that not only does he want us to know him, but he wants a relationship with us. And he offers his own son, that familiar verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about the planet Earth. He's talking about the people, us, you and I, that God loves you that much. Now, why was this needed and why was this necessary? Let me pause a moment and say this to you. I find it remarkable that in the most remote places of the world, and I think in a way this comes back to the anthropological argument that we talked about earlier, in the most remote places in the world, people worship something. It might be a stick. It might be a bird. It might be the sun. It might be the moon. It might be a tree. It might be a rock. But they have some kind of worship going on. Why is that? It is because when God made man, he made him to be in fellowship with him. And man was. And they walked together in the garden and they talked together freely and they were in this wonderful relationship. But sin entered into the world and it separated mankind from God. And man, there became a need in man to be reconciled to God. The price of that reconciliation was the precious blood of a sinless offering. That offering was Jesus Christ. And only Jesus could take care of that. And through his blood, man has been reconciled to God. And we do that through faith in the blood of Jesus. We ask God, we ask Jesus to be our Savior. And, and we ask God uh, to become our Father through that. And he becomes our Father through that. And we enter into a relationship. We call that being born again. And the Bible tells us that man needed that. But within man, there is this God-sized hole. 